Davis. Her season's going to end on a double doink. One. Unbelievable. Attention listeners, are you ready to be blown away? You asked for it and they listen. Our friends at Manscaped just relaunched the ultra smooth package. It's back, baby. Your new favorite tool and compliments a lawnmower 4.0 to keep your boys smooth while looking and feeling their best. This specialized groin shaving kit is here to help you buff, protect, and shave your most sensitive areas. It's time to crop that bush of yours and get right to the roots of the discount for you from Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping using code DOINK. The legends who introduced the electric ball hair trimmer are bringing back the razor so you can set so you can be set and trimmed from front to back. Men, you no longer have to bore your lady's razor for that precise trim. Step one, grab your handy-dandy lawnmower 4.0 and give your boys a classic trim to your liking to get the loose hairs out of the way and then take out the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package to make your package the perfect package this summer. The, crop, the crop exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep the skin on around your groin feeling refreshed. The crop exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places. The crop gel, see what, see where you're shaving with our unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. With four essential oils, it's like a spa treatment every time you shave. And now it's time to shave the crop shaver. Was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. Three precision blades include extra wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping. You can go doink at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. Use the code DOINK at manscaped.com. We also want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Not everyone is someone they can lean on and talk to. That's where BetterHelp comes in. With BetterHelp, you have access to over 20,000 professional licensed therapists. It's not a crisis time. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own professional licensed therapist. If you ever search for a counselor in the area, you know it can take weeks or even months just to get a phone call back. With BetterHelp, you can start communicating as little as 48 hours. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. You deserve you deserve to prioritize your mental health this year. So get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash double doing podcast. We want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. Today's episode is also sponsored by Coolbet. Coolbet is the most cheering sprint gaming company in the world. Coolbet also provides the best odds in Canada with world-class customer service. For first-time users, use the buzz go doink, D-O-N-K, doink, for a 100% welcome bonus of the $200 when signing up with Coolbet. That's code doink, and Coolbet will match your first deposit up to $200. Give our friends at Coolbet Canada. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Coolbet Canada. Coolbet, stay cool and bet responsibly. And welcome back to another episode of the Double Doink Podcast. My name is Brendan Deek. Thank you so much for tuning in today, guys. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. It would be greatly appreciated. You can also rate the podcast and review the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It would also be greatly appreciated. We are talking strictly Indianapolis Colts today on the podcast, and I'm happy to be joined by Mike Chappelle, who covers the Indianapolis Colts for Fox 59 and CBS 4. Mike, how are we doing? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Can't complain. I had pizza for lunch, so I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good. I haven't mood. had lunch yet. I'll do that later. But uh, 
I work better when I'm hungry. There you go. There you go. Um, so I want to start with you actually quickly, Mike. So um, how long have you been covering the Colts for? I started in 1984. I was uh, uh, in, in Anderson, Indiana, which is about an hour from here. And when the Colts moved here, that's where they held training camp. And then I moved to the Indy Stars. So since they moved here, I've been connected with them. So it's been a long ride. Was this like when you were coming up um, in the industry, was this a dream job for you? Did you want to be a beat writer for this long? Like, is this, is this kind of how you envision your career going or? It just sort of happened. Okay. Again, I, I was in the, the town that held their first training camp and I was a backup guy for several years. And then the other guy uh, moved on or retired. I can't remember how exactly uh, John left the, the, the beat. And I've been doing it full time as the beat guy since, like 1988 or 89. And uh, it, it, did, did, I, did I aspire to be this? It just sort of worked that way. And then once you get into it, you enjoy it and you just keep doing it until they tell you to quit doing it. Yeah, there you go. All right, uh, before we kind of get into the team, I know just some kind of news around the city. So Indianapolis will be the host of the Combine for the next couple of years. Good for the city, bad for the city. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's good for the city. The, the projections are always, you know, fuzzy. The, I, I've talked to the to the visit indie guys and they they anticipate every year it's about a 10 million dollar can it's basically a convention the city sees it as a convention like so many others and it draws i don't know gosh three or four thousand nfl types with coaches and gms and and all this and scouts and medical people and you've got the 300 and some players so for like a week india is the epicenter of the nfl mm -hmm. so it's good for the city it's been here since 87 indy does it really well this isn't what's what's funny is the league Indy's done such a good job. Jeff Foster runs this. They've done such a good job that other cities want it because they see the exposure you get. Well, it, this isn't like the draft where you, you go from year to year and city to city and th th you're not taking anything other than the backdrops and all that. Well, with the, with the combine, you're talking, you know, you need a facility, Lucas oil, everybody's got a, a facility. But the way it is downtown in India, anyone who's been here, everything is right there. It's mm -hmm. right there. It's walking distance. And more important, the medical stuff is right there. So if, if all these guys, when they get, you know, x-rays or, or, or re-exams, they put them in a van and they shoot them 10 minutes down the street. So it works. It'll be here two more years. And, you know, the league wants to rotate it, Dallas, L.A., whatever. And it sounds really cool to do, but it's just the, the, the logistics and all the things that you need to have to make it work. You know, th this is still a part of the player evaluation. Yeah. That's what this is for. But it's gotten so popular that it's prime time. It's fan experience. So the league, you know, being being what they are, a great marketing tool, they're trying to maximize what, what indies turn this into. What's well, not broke, don't fix, right? Like, well, well, why, why move it? That's the thing. But again, again, you when other cities see how, how well it works again, look at how the, the draft has been so popular moving from what is it? Philly, Chicago, Vegas, and Nashville. That, that, that's cool. But it, it, you're not talking apples and apples when it comes to the combine and the draft, but we'll see where this goes. But right now for two more years, it's here in town. Okay. We're going to start with a couple former Philadelphia quarterbacks. This is a double doing podcast, Mr. Chappelle. So we got to start there. Um, I want to start with Nick Foles. He signed a two-year deal with the Indianapolis Colts. What's your uh, – I know it's still kind of new, so what's kind of your instant, I guess, reaction to the Colts? That, there there were things that they needed to have done. 
they've addressed a lot of issues in the offseason, but backup veteran backup was, was one they needed to do because after you get Matt Ryan, the other quarterbacks haven't thrown a pass. Yeah. So then all of a sudden Nick Foles is is, is released by the Bears and and he was immediately on the Colts radar. He was. He he and Frank Reich, as you know, have a tight relationship that started in what was it, 2017. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's it's a perfect fit. And it's kind of crazy. And it, from what I've seen, it's, it's, it's a very reasonable, it's like a mil, two, two and a half million, three million with incentives the first year. So that, that's very reasonable. And it, it, it's an insurance policy. You, you do this with the idea, we hope he never plays. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, you know, and Matt Ryan has missed three games in 14 years. But this is a team that believes it's ready to do something. They thought that last year and they were all almost, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But they think this is with the moves they've made that they're ready to contend at least for the AFC South. And I'm not saying playoffs are bust, but they need to make a strong, strong push. And if they don't, if they're not competing for the AFC South or a playoff spot in December, somebody will have some answering to do. And, and the backup quarterback gives you that insurance in case your quarterback goes down for a game or two. So, Nate, the best football of Nick Foles' career was when Frank Reich was calling the plays, right? Like right. Uh, when they were um, – when it was a playoff run, Nick Foles, of course, went on an absolute heater in the NFC Championship game in the Super Bowl, and that was a lot to do with Frank Reich, the, the play calling, the RPO kind of style offense that he ran. So I can easily see why this was kind of enticing for Foles to go back there and enticing for Frank Reich to bring him back in, right? Like just it was just kind of a match made in heaven. Right. So let's kind of move over to uh, the past quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts and Carson Wentz. So if I can, <laughs> we got to go there. We got to go there, Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, was the Colts moving on from Carson Wentz more his play on the field or the problems he caused off the field? Do you think it was maybe a mixture of both? What's your kind of read on that? Yeah, both. And, and, and I don't mean that to be a cop-out answer, but it, 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 you can't point to one thing. And, you know, the owner has been, as you've probably seen, vocal – Oh yeah, probably more so than any. I mean, any I have, owner. It's weird. I, I've never seen an owner kind of just call out a past player, even a player on the roster. I think right. he called them out before they even traded him. Right? Like it, it's kind of unheard of or unseen of in the NFL um, over and, since I've been following the league. And I, and, I, and I think that that speaks to the to the level of his uh, being PO'd with how last season went. And, and first, l- let's just get one thing out of the way. This wasn't all Carson Wentz. The fact that they crashed and burned. The defense played awful in the last couple of games. Uh, and Wentz didn't play well. The offensive line didn't play well. It was a collective effort. But the quarter, it, it's, you know, it, it starts and ends with the quarterback a, a lot of times. And and no one, even Ursay, hasn't got real specific. You know, leader, you know he, he throws leadership and all this, which is sort of an ambiguous term. But it, it uh, it was probably more well it, it's hard to say 60 40 70 30 on off field on field the fact that, that there was enough of both what people have to understand is that the night of, of the Jacksonville loss Ursay called both Reich and Ballard into his office which they never do never mm-hmm. from that from that moment Carson Wentz was gone yeah Th- this isn't something that was going to percolate we're going to talk about and this that and the other I think it took a little bit of time for Chris Ballard to accept it. Maybe not real long because, you know, he saw things 
sort of like Ursay did, maybe not to the extreme. And I'm sure Frank needed a little more talking, but 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 this isn't a democracy. This is this is everybody's votes not it's equal. Dictatorship, baby. It is, and, and yeah. good or bad. You, you know what it is, and this was going to happen. What what people need to understand also is they were going to cut Carson Wentz regardless, mm-hmm. and they did. Uh, when they when they traded him, they were they they were prepared to cut him and eat the eat the whatever it was, the $28 million and, and all that, and just yeah. without knowing who the next guy was. Does that tell you the level of, of, of angst by the owner? And then they got the Washington Commanders to step in and give them a couple of draft picks and, oh, by the way, eat, you know, take on $28 million. So they, they I think they, they deserve great credit for making the best of a bad situation. But keep in mind, they created a bad situation last year by being wrong on win. So it's great they moved on, but they don't deserve a total pass because they 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 went with Winch last year. And I tell you, a lot of us here were in favor of it cautiously, but we were in favor. We thought maybe this guy is can be the long term answer, and it just didn't work out. So I kind of you just said that that you know, you're giving them credit for getting rid of them, and that's just kind of chills to my next question. Like knowing what you know now, like, so they they traded two. I think they got two third round picks for him, right? And then they traded can be a second, I think. Yeah. So then they trade a third round pick for Matt Ryan. Like you are 100 percent in on what they did at the quarterback position this offseason. Like I, I look, I'm a I'm a, I'm an Eagles guy, right? And I watched Carson once fall apart in 2020, and he was he didn't look the same, did not look the same from even 2019 to, to 2017. I think is an afterthought. Now I think the Colts are kind of just maybe wanted him to be the 2018, 2019 version, and he just wasn't. Like he sold 27 touchdowns and seven picks with the Colts last right. year, right? Like how much better can the quarterback play get? Is what I'm trying to say. And I, is Matt Ryan really going to bring you better quarterback play than Carson Wentz did? Yeah, but because and, and again, it and you're right. The thing that we we are always joking in the media room when we're just kind of hanging out, twenty seven seven, twenty seven seven. Yeah, I mean, any owner, any coach, any GM would take that every day. That they mm-hmm. would, but over the last like eight, and, and these numbers are fuzzy because I've got my my stats elsewhere. But over the last eight games, he didn't throw for two hundred yards. And the, the one thing that kind of struck me is when we talked to Chris Ballard when the season was over and things were still fresh and, and raw, he said he talked with Carson Wentz and he, and he told him, he said, make the layups, make the layups. And that's you know, something he's never, he was never able to do. And feel like there was a lot of short missed throws, like the, like the running back out routes, stuff like that, that just never worked. And, and, and he, to, I guess to generalize it, he seems like he's really willing and able and he forces the hero passes, yeah, the, the the tough passes instead of taking a check down and making things easier. And, you know, th- there's things to be said. I'm, I'm not saying being a game manager at all because you've got to make plays. But when it's third and five, keep the chains moving yep. and hit guys when they're there. And that just wasn't the case enough, especially late. I mean, mm-hmm. at, at midseason, he was you know, almost top 10 with what he was playing. And then it just went downhill quickly and steadily and he never came out of it so yeah i I think if ryan goes 27 7 i think he makes more than enough layups to make that way more than good enough fair yeah yet yet he's still you know he's still got the capabilities of 
uh, of the big games, but but with the way this team's built, he doesn't need to throw 350 every week. And neither did Wentz, for that matter, when you've got that running attack. And one thing that mentioned, I, I, I said, the last eight games, there were six games of under 200. This is with Jonathan Taylor. Mm-hmm. This is with the, with the best back in the league. Teams are crowding the line of scrimmage. It ought to be like seven on seven throwing throwing the ball. Yeah. And it just didn't work. So it, it was – I know from the outside when you, we always come back to the 27-7 and, you know, he started all games and he played through injury and this, that, and the other. It was beyond that. And the the, the it, it's always hard for teams to talk about. But the vaccination thing was real. I, I agree. And I think that – I. I feel like that must have pissed off Ursa the most out of anything. Like the whole the chaos before the season started. Like I, I'm look, you can say what you want about the vaccine policy, in the NFL, but you're 100 right. It had to have been a big factor in the decision. It, but because you're, you're rolling the dice, you, you yeah. just are. And, and I, I think what they believe is that the quarterback sets the tone. You know, Wentz wasn't the only unvaccinated player. Darius Leonard, Braden Smith, Eric. Fisher, Ryan Kelly, and, and there were more. And, and it finally bit him in the rear end at the end of the season when, when they all get it, and, and, and they missed time. And I really think when I looked at the last couple of weeks that this team was mentally and physically spent. Mm-hmm. Now, how much of that was coming back from the one and four and getting on a roll, and, and then you beat Arizona and, and on the road, and everybody says this is a team no one wants to play. But I, I just think if – if the quarterback, I think they believe the quarterback sets the tone. He's the leader. And if he's imploring everybody to get, can you imagine Peyton Manning? I mean, this team would have been vaxxed. It yeah. would have. Uh, and I realize some guys have strong, strong convictions on their own for a lot of very, very good reasons. And maybe some on some teams or elsewhere are followers and they just do it because. Well, my, my buddy's not doing it, so I think I won't do it. But I really think that they believe that if if he had been a stronger leader, the other guys would have followed. And it just, again, it's part of the leadership that Ursay's talked about that wasn't there. And he really believes that, that if you're the right quarterback, you find a way to beat the Raiders at home. You find a way to beat the absolute worst team in the league on the road. And they were not they they were uncompetitive in Jacksonville, yeah. and that that was if there needed to be a final straw, that was it. I think for what five thirty eight, um, the analytic website had them at like a ninety eight point some ninety point six percent chance. Two weeks ago, yeah, with two weeks to go. Um, so I kind of like the the one play that sticks out to me the most is the um, I, I think that they were down seventeen against Jacksonville, and it was like a deep a deep corner out, and Wentz forced it, and it was an interception. They they go to the box. And they showed Jim Mercier in the box. Like right after I was watching on my couch, just to remember. And I remember saying to myself, like, I don't think he's coming back. Like, I think that might have just dug his dug his grave. Um, make, one the quick layups, one. make the layups. And, and, yeah. and, then, and then occasionally you certainly have to hit the deep ball just because that's the way the game is. Yeah. But there's a lot to be said. Again, and again, I'm not saying be a game manager. But realize when it's the right time to move the change and when, to, and when it's the right time to strike. And I don't think that, that Wentz ever, in their eyes, found that balance at all. So one quick question uh, before we move off, Wentz. You've covered a lot of quarterbacks in your time um, in Indianapolis. Well, maybe not a lot because you had Peyton Manning for quite a while. But um, 
what was his personality like? Like, what did you make of just covering him when you talked to him? Like, what did you, did you, did you, there was something off with them? Like, what did you kind of just make of his, I guess, personality? Uh, we didn't get a lot of personality from him. Yeah. And I always tried not to pile on once the guy's gone, but, but he, he just sort of went through the motions and gave us quarterback speak. We never got a peek into who he really is. And this is after Peyton Manning, who is as, as, as calculated of a person as I've been around. And, but, but he would give you personality. He would give you some insight. Then we had Philip Rivers, Andrew Luck and Philip. Philip Rivers was great. Matt Ryan's been very good. Nick Foles was very interactive. Maybe that's a better word, interactive. And we never got the interactive part of Carson Wentz. Maybe that's just him. I think he was very, uh, I don't know if guarded is the right word, but he just didn't show you much of who he was. Mm-hmm. And and that, I'm not saying that that's why people are down on him, because if that's how a guy wants to be, fine. But when you're the quarterback and, and you need to be the face of the franchise, you sort of need to give more of yourself, and he never did that. Maybe that's just his makeup and personality. It is. Like I actually watched a lot of his press conferences in Indy because I was curious – and it was the same crap, not crap might be the wrong word, but same kind of same, um, same, same language. Like he was very media trained. It almost seemed like just like, like you said, going through the motions. So I was just curious your opinion. Cause I, I, I thought the same thing, like just watching his press conferences. And again, really that, to me, that's fine. That, mm-hmm. That's fine. If, if, if you're doing everything else, right. Yeah, no fair. That's so, fine. so, you know, and again, the teams put up with a lot of crap on, with quarterbacks and players and all this, if they play, if they carry on their business and do things the right way, you can put up with a lot of stuff. That's why some guys are still in the league and always get second, third chances. But there was just, there was just a disconnect. And I, I've come to believe from what you're saying that that's simply him. Yeah. And I'm sure they'll find out the same way in Washington that this is, this is who he is. Okay. Let's talk about the current uh, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, so I want to ask you about Jonathan Taylor. Cause in my opinion, he probably had the best running back season almost maybe in the past decade. You can maybe go back like nine, ten years. Maybe you find one that even somewhat matches. But he, this was the best running back season in a very long time in recent memory. Is it replicable, Mike? Like, is this is is can this happen again? Can he kind of go back to the twenty twenty one form? Because again, like this was he was on a mission last year. He was. He started. He started somewhat slow, where it, it just sort of built up. But, boy, once he got going, 100 yards, you're thinking, is that all you got? It reminded me of Peyton Manning. He'd throw for 275 and two touchdowns. You say, is that all you got? And that's that's a pretty good day. So so Taylor got you numb to what he was doing. And I I think it was the greatest running back season by a Colt. And and these guys have had some pretty good players, you know, Hall of Famers. He he broke Edron James' single-season record. And people say, well, yeah, but he played 17 games. No, he broke it in the 16th game. So he he legitimately broke the record. And, yeah, I I think he can replicate it. The numbers, I I don't know. The touchdowns, what was it, 18 rushing touchdowns, 20 touchdowns. I I, I think maybe not number-wise he won't, simply because I think they're going to get more more consistency from the passing game. But he's going to get his touches. Part of his late second half season surge more carries more yards was a reflection that they didn't trust Wentz. I hate to come back to Wentz mm-hmm. uh, against Buffalo. They, he, he threw for 58 yards. I mean, 58 yards <laughs> and against the, the Patriots, they, they were on the verge of blowing them out 
but they couldn't get the passing game going. So I, I think that the passing game, if it's more consistent, they won't lean on Taylor quite so much. But what makes him special, what makes running backs special is four or five, six carries. You know, they got 24 yards. They're not really doing things. And then they break the they break the 50-yarder, the 70-yarder, and all of a sudden it's a great day. The great running backs are capable of turning 10 yards into 60 yards in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. Can he stay healthy? That that's that that's what you have to worry about is running backs get hurt because they get hit. Mm-hmm. So, but he, he's durable. He's a good kid. He's a really good kid. So he can replicate it, I guess, but it's going to be difficult. It's funny. So like, there's a stat that I, that I like to uh, like to use um, EPA per play. So it's basically an analytic stat that's showing how much points are put on the board. The Colts had, oh, they led the league in EPA per rush 0.065. The next team was the Seattle Seahawks at 0.025. So just to put it in perspective, like they, they lapped the next team, like in just rushing ability. Like, that's why I was like saying, like, I don't know, like if they can replicate this with a better quarterback play, like you're, you're well, laughing, and, right? and, all, and also again, he's running the last half of the season with a passing game, not working. Mm-hmm. So people are crowding the line and the offensive line had a bad season. It really did because they were banged up, you know, right tackle Braden, Braden Smith, one of the best at his position was banged up most of the year. Left tackle Eric Fisher never really got into form and Quentin Nelson had injuries. So this line never really played to its level. So when it does, I think there's reasons to believe that the running game will be better this year. Let's stick with the offensive line because I find the left tackle fight in Indianapolis super interesting from a Philadelphia perspective because you got Matt Pryor, who the Eagles traded to the Colts. And it's funny, like Matt Pryor's played pretty not, I guess he's played okay for the Colts. I think he would know more than I would, but he was the 11th offensive lineman on the Eagles when they traded him. Like he had no, he had no room in Philly. And, the Eagles have a historically good offensive line coach in Jeff Steltland. So like from him going to Indy and succeeding, I find very curious and interesting. And then you had Dennis Kelly right behind him as well. And Bernard Raymond, that Dennis Kelly is another former Eagle. The Eagles famously traded him to the Titans for Doria Green Beckham. I'm sure everyone can know how that trade went for the Eagles, but um, who wins the job? Is Matt Pryor really going to win this starting left tackle job? It's his to lose to start with. I mean, that, that's the way it's going to work. They get Raymond in the third round. They think he and he he's played left tackle for two years. Yeah, he's Austrian he boy, right? He was the guy that's right. uh, he's he's still like he's twenty five years old, I believe. Correct? Right. Yeah, right. He's an older guy. Yeah, good kid and all that. And but I, I think ideally, what they want to have happen is prior or or Raymond, somebody win left tackle without any question, and whoever loses left tackle goes and competes at right guard. Mm-hmm. Danny Pinner's going to be the right guard right now. A draft pick a couple years ago, and. and you know, Dennis Kelly then could be the swing tackle. Well, he, he's long in the tooth, but he, he started 16 games for Tennessee two years ago. So, but yeah, left tackle, it, 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 it's concerning. I don't mind being concerned about the uncertainty at right guard. Left tackle's different. It, it, it's, it's, you can cover up a lot of, uh, of concerns. Left tackle, if you've got a weakness at left tackle, we saw last year with Eric Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he gave up a handful of sacks. A lot of pressures, and if you, if a quarterback can't trust left tackle, it's just tough. And I, I've heard how like well, you, and you got that immobile Matt Ryan. Well, this isn't Philip Rivers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Philip Rivers was a statue. Ryan can move around. You know, he, he's not Jalen Hurts at all, but he can move around. But still, if if you have constant leakage on the left side, 
you have trouble. So we'll see how it plays out. I, I, I would feel a lot better if I had a left tackle that I really trusted and I don't have to give him a lot of help. That's not where they are. Again, they, they had so many significant positions to deal with this offseason. And they did. They, they handled most of them. This is one where you can say they just there's. I don't say crossing their fingers. I'm, I'm not going to say that, but I don't think they solved left tackle like they ideally hoped they could have. Well, I guess their I guess their mindset is thinking right. Like we got three darts at the dartboard and Matt Pryor, Bernard Raymond, and Dennis Kelly. Hope one of them hits right. Like I I don't think it's I don't think that's not necessarily a bad strategy. I'm assuming a lot of teams do that in different areas, but like you said. Left tackle, like you, you don't, not the ideal position to be throwing darts at the dartboard, more right. like a safety job or your third wide receiver, something like that, right? right? So it right. does make sense. What is the latest on the Kenny Moore situation? Well, again, he, he, he he's there, but he's not participating. And we, I'm guessing that's how it'll be next week in OTAs as well. And then we'll see during the uh, mandatory minicamp, uh, you know, that's not going to work. You know, that's not going to work. That's not going to satisfy the meaning of mandatory is to be there, be healthy and, and watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the team does. If that's the case. Uh, I, I think that if they, if they find the guy that accelerates and intensifies the situation, but the, the team's, a, the team's sort of in a tough situation. He's got two years to go on his contract and yes, he's underpaid, and I'm all, I'm for players getting as much as they can get. Get it because when the team's done with you, they're done with you. Yep. Well, they gave him this four-year extension in 19 before he really became that cornerback. And they sort of overpaid early, and now he's underpaid. So I don't know what they do. I I, I think they, they, they're not really eager to set a precedent with a guy with two years to go because there is sort of a way you do these things. And I don't know if Kenny Moore is the type of guy who's going to sit out mandatory things, sit out training camp. We'll see. Uh, maybe he's just trying to make a point that, you know, I'm not happy. You know, because it's funny how teams, they always talk up players. This guy's important. You know, I, boy, I'd, I'd hate to see what we can do without him. And they, we talked about the, the, the three or four areas on defense that you really need. You know, the weak side linebacker with Gary Leonard, the three technique with DeForest Buckner, and the nickel corner with Kenny Moore. So you're talking how great, how, how important he is to you. And then when he says, yeah, but I'm underpaid, it's a difficult situation. I don't know that it's going to get, you know, go to DEFCON 1. I don't think that because, because both sides aren't normally like that. I, we were trying to think when the last time a player actually held out, and I can't think of one. It's back probably back in the Manning years. Mm-hmm. But uh, the next couple of weeks, we'll find out. The, the, the next big time, again, is mandatory minicamp in the 1st of June. And we'll, we'll have a better idea where it goes from there because we've not talked to him yet. So th- I'm going to get you on one last question here, Mike. So you covered, in my opinion, the greatest runner of an offense, the greatest just general of an offense in Peyton Manning. People can say Tom Brady is probably the best quarterback of all time. When I was growing up watching Peyton Manning run that offense, it was surgical the way he just was able to put people in the right places, put the ball in the right place. Do you have maybe a story about Peyton Manning that you can tell my audience that maybe they haven't heard of before in your time of covering him? Whenever we we come up with like Peyton's top five games, top 10 games, there's so many of them that, that 
you know, I, I, and I've got, I got a lot of these on, on CDs because it's just great. I've got the Tampa Bay game when they're down 35, 21 with five minutes to play. It's simply impossible to come back from that yet. They do. But the, one of the games I always include, I can't remember what year it was. I, my books are closed up. They went to San Diego in 2006 or seven or whatever it was, eight. And they're without, they had like 45 players healthy going into the game. They're without Marvin. They're without Dallas Clark. They're without somebody else. And it's Reggie and a bunch of guys. And they get behind. Peyton throws five interceptions, ends up throwing six. And they should have won. This is the game that uh, Darren Sproles returns a kick and a punt for touchdowns in the first quarter. (laughs) And there's no way they're going to win this. And Peyton finds a way with Reggie Wayne and a bunch of guys, and they should have won. Adam Vinatieri misses like a 26-yard field goal in the, in the final couple of minutes, or they win. That tells you the, 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 the influence that that guy can have on a game. Mm-hmm. It's, when you've got that guy, Peyton, Brady, Aaron Rodgers, maybe five or six guys, you're never out of a game. And the one thing that struck me about Peyton, and, and maybe the fans don't, understand or appreciate but the media does a lot of times including the san diego game it's it's a it's a late night game so that we're done at i don't know midnight and we got deadlines we've got deadlines back when we had deadlines and he comes out with still got his eye black on still got his uniform on to talk to us because he knew we had deadlines how many quarterbacks have, have have the presence to realize you know they got a job to do so we just got beat. I had a bad game. Let's talk to the media. So many times Peyton did that. And, and from the media, we always said, hey, Peyton, appreciate it. Yeah. And, again, anyone who's been in that situation understands what that means to have a quarterback take five minutes to do that for the media. Yeah. You can obviously – quarterbacks have bad games a lot and sometimes don't talk to the media. It sounds right. like it was a pleasure to cover. And um, you – uh, just congratulations on a, a terrific so far of your career. I know there's still plenty of years left, but you're, uh, you're, um, you're, you're great. I guess idol to people that want to be a beat writer and, and cover this league because like being it's a, it's a, different it's a totally different yeah. landscape now, but it's fun. Mike Chappelle, uh, please tell my audience where they can find your work. Uh, Fox 59, CBS4.com. And then my, my Twitter is in chapel 51. And we just keep plugging away as long, as long as the checks clear, we keep working. There we go. Mike, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.